You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul resumes his discussion of Exodus, noting that the story was written to test God's people, taking their failure into consideration from the very beginning. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Now to go back to Exodus and cover all the chapters together and then go to see what we can do with each one of them. Although we covered them by saying he is making a joke of them, you have this in Exodus in that after a series of chapters between 25 and 29, where you have a detailed series of requests of how to build the abode of God in chapters 32 through 34 we hear about Moses coming down and seeing that already the people were breaking the law or laws of God. And the story, we'll get back to it, is that in his ire, Moses breaks the tables of the law because the people broke the law. And he has to go back up and bring another set of written laws. Now one can see the parallelism with Ezekiel. It is as though the story in Exodus was written against this plan of God to test his people right there at the beginning. And he's taking into consideration their failure. It's impressive. But this is what the Bible is about. And we cannot play games with that. Now, to stay along these same lines and show you that even if you don't know Ezekiel, but you start hearing about these different elements, which are the altar, the court, the oil lamp in chapter 27, then chapter 28, you have the vestments of the priests, and here I would like to linger a little bit, beginning with the ephod, which is very important. You have to read that. This is in chapter 28. I don't need to go over that with you. You have the ephod, the breastpiece, and the signet of consecration, and so on. 
but I would like to linger upon the ephod, how here it is presented clearly, very positively, it is the main ornament of the high priest. But then, if you keep this in mind, and you start moving through the biblical story, you'll get to Judges. I'm going to read you a few passages just to show you how the people dealt with that. In Judges chapter 8, verse 27, and Gideon, you remember that judge who wanted to become king as Abimelech, so he was not as good as we make him sound to be, made an effort of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. He came up himself with an effort. That's one. This is in chapter 8. In chapter 17, we have something similar. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an effort and teraphim. Now notice the addition of teraphim. Teraphim is very important because it's the same word that unfortunately is translated as household gods in Genesis 31, meaning that if you're hearing the RSV, you're not hearing scripture because you're not making the connection that the effort is put on the same level as the teraphim and installed one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then you have another story in Judges 18 with a man who meet a young Levite at the home of Micah and he moves, this is Dan and notice in verse 18 of chapter 18 and when these went into Micah's house you can read the entire text but I'm underscoring these verses and when these went into Micah's house and took the graven image the ephod, the teraphim and the molten image Notice how the effort and the teraphim are squeezed between graven image and molten image. The priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand upon your mouth and come with us and be to us as a father and son. In other words, they launched another temple in another place in contradiction with the dictates of the law where God would be the one who would decide for the place where this would be. And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones in there anyway. Then, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we hear about the story of how God chose Samuel instead of the two sons of the priests, Eli, because they were misbehaving. 
And in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 2, we hear Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy girded with a linen ephod. There you go. The ephod went to the prophet Samuel. And then the last one is in 1 Samuel 15, where we hear in the original teraphim, but it is translated interestingly, correctly, as idolatry. There you go. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And instead of idolatry, you have teraphim in the original Hebrew. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Okay? And with this, you cannot miss, if you're hearing the Hebrew, remembering the story of Rachel and her teraphim that she wanted to hide under her rear end on her camel. I mean, if this is not a joke, what is? But what is important for me is that the lumping together of the teraphim with ephod in the book of Judges, which is unmissable. So ultimately, it's a big joke on you to have to adorn this abode of God in the wilderness, which is practically a tent and dismantle it every day, which means that he's telling you, you cannot have a temple. And that's the mistake later of David and Solomon that controls the biblical story throughout the centuries until the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians. And notice I commented on that, that even the so-called repentance, as we call it, of Josiah, did not change anything. What it changed, I love that text, is that God pitied Josiah and had him die before the fall of Jerusalem so that he cannot see the catastrophe with his own eyes. But scholarship starts speaking about the Deuteronomic reform and the people change their mind and they use it against my teaching where I keep saying that people do not change. They just show their true face. No, 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 Father Paul, change and so on. Change in which sense? I don't see it anywhere. The only people that given as an example for change in the Gospels are the outsider. The Samaritan who came back to thank Jesus while the others did not. And the Canaanite woman who kept begging Jesus in spite of the fact that he said, this bread is only for the lost sheep of Israel. So we need, we need to be serious about that. And Paul does it in Romans where he gives the Gentiles as an example to Israel to follow which is very strange, but that's the name of the game. So I'm suggesting to my hearers to revisit these texts, beginning with Ezekiel, 
in order to understand this very unusual story. Moses is up, God is giving his laws, including a lengthy coverage of the priesthood. And then when Moses come down, he finds that Aaron, who was the topic of those texts about priesthood, has already erected his golden calf, or the people did at his bidding. But once more, God did that in chapter 2, and that is frustrating for us. Why did he put the tree if he didn't want? Remember, he's no papa. So modern psychologists cannot help you to comprehend the Bible. And the trouble in North America that on every parish council, you have a psychologist. And a rich person, obviously, to speak about donation to the church. I'll match it. If any parishioner gives 5,000, I'll match it. Who else except a rich man can do that? And you know the story of the rich man in the parable. So watch out, friends. That's all I can say. I'm nearing my demise. Again, I'm going to be 80 on October 2nd. But I'll still be speaking so long as I have breath. But do not put your hope in the sons of man and imagine that someday I'm going to give you a Christmas retreat on the topic of the papas and the mamas. No, there are no papas and mamas in the Bible. There is only the biblical story. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.